Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Be Bullish podcast. I'm Alex Ely, CIO of the U.S. Growth Equity Team here at Macquarie Asset Management. Thank you for listening in. Um, today, we're going to do another hot take as to what we see as being different than the consensus is that's out there. So uh, the hot take is, despite all the tough talk that we've seen from the Fed over the last week, we think that the Fed will be cutting rates next year as opposed to keeping them at higher levels like they talk about. Um, last week, uh, Fed, Fed Chair pa uh, Jay Powell spoke at the um, Jackson Hole Conference, and he talked about being tough on inflation. He talked about increasing rates and trying to keep um, you know, rates higher for a longer period of uh, time because inflation's bad for the system. And he's right. Inflation is bad for the system. The reason inflation is bad is that when you don't have price certainty in the future, it's harder to make investments. It's harder to do certain things. People don't have confidence or visibility on what's going to happen next. And therefore, long-term improvement in the economy is hampered when you have high levels of inflation that's out there. That's a pretty much accepted or well-known in economic circles around the world. Lots of economies have been crushed by runaway inflation, and it can be really tough, particularly for uh, people in, in uh, lower classes because they're particularly levered towards things like food and, and gas and other things like that, that that really hurt their bottom line. So it's important to be tough on inflation. But where did this inflation come from and how did we get here? Well, the inflation comes from two different areas. First off, it came from the Fed itself. Um, my goodness, um, as we went through the pandemic, I, I think at this point, we could definitely recognize that the Fed panicked. In essence, they bought all kinds of different bonds that they had never bought before. Trillions of dollars worth of quantitative easing in an attempt to shore up an economy that underneath it all wasn't doing so bad in the first place. And it wasn't just the Fed. It was also the government itself. Uh, th this was a bipartisan effort in terms of fiscal policy uh, to support the American people during a time um, when things were tough. Now, just to go back on this as to, to why um, they were doing this. Um, if you go back in history, back to the Depression, during that period of time, the government and the, and the Federal Reserve had a very laissez-faire approach to the weakness that they saw in the economy. They fig figured, you know, everyone took their own risks. Let's see, you know, where the chips fall. And that's just the way things go. Well, the problem with it was that 47% of the banks ended up failing. We had no FDIC ins uh, insurance at the time, which is in essence the insurance that uh, protects the first $100,000 worth of savings that you have in the bank. And so without that, lots of people lost all of their savings, not lots, but millions and millions and millions of people lost all of their money that they had in, in banks. Uh, you created run on banks and the end result was 25% unemployment. So as we fast forward to 0809, Ben Bernanke, who was fed uh, head of the Fed at that time, realized this and introduced the advent of quantitative easing um, in order to support the markets, to give the market liquidity so it could climb out of that. So this is exactly what the Fed did in the pandemic. They went back to the playbook. They provided massive amounts of liquidity, but they did so to an economy that was much less levered to a banking system that was not under the same level of duress whatsoever. And as a result, they helped to create a lot of the inflation that we've seen so far. And it really does make you ask the question, 
what is a group of people doing by cranking up the economy to the point that we do have significant inflation and now cranking it back down? Is that really what they should be doing? Is it, or, or are they overreacting in one direction or the other? The other part of this, and, and where a lot of it comes from, is, is the supply chain. And the supply chain is just the re, re, and the issues there are just a reflection that it's very difficult to shut down parts of a global economy and then reopen them. It's very clunky. And we got bottlenecks in all kinds of different areas that, that cause problems and compounded inflationary issues um, that are happening right that, that are happening out there. But I would argue that many of these were, were bottlenecks. Let me go through some of the major components of the inflation numbers so you can understand. First off, when it came to autos, autos sales um, have had a huge bottleneck. In essence, uh, automobile manufacturers stopped creating as many cars because they felt like we were going into a recession due to the pandemic. The reverse happened. Lots of people didn't want to commute on trains and, and buses and so forth. So they wanted to commute in their own car. And instead we saw a surge in purchasing of automobiles, but because automobile makers had reduced their factory outputs, the semiconductor companies that were supplying chips uh, to all the sensors that are in those cars diverted their production to other kinds of businesses that are more profitable and were stronger at the time, namely computer peripherals and, and such. Well, that's begun to turn, mostly because these companies, they want to sell you cars. And so we've started to see auto inventories improve uh, for the first time in a couple of years. Since the March lows, we've now seen auto inventories increase over 50%. That's very exciting that that's happening. The numbers are still very low. They still have a long way to go. But they're improving, and not only will they continue to improve this year, but they'll be dramatically improved next year. And as that happens, we should see the price increases that we've had for autos, which has been dramatic, such as the 60% increase in used car prices over the last two years, will ease as inventories uh, come online. It's simple supply-demand. As more supply comes online, to meet demand, you'll start to see those prices fade. That's a big component of the CPI numbers um, coming down and being deflationary in the next year. Housing, same thing. We ran into the pandemic. We had been getting about 100,000 people leaving the major cities like Chicago, LA, New York, every year and going to places like Nashville, Austin, Denver, Tampa, areas like that that were growing significantly. Um, that accelerated due to the pandemic, mostly because of the advent of hybrid working. While many people are going back to work, there's a lot of people that will continue to work in a hybrid way and some that will never go back to work. How am I so confident that this is the case? Because if you're a CFO, this is the number two line item on your income statement. Once you, reduce, once you get past uh, labor, occupancy is number two. And if you can whittle that down to improve your margins and to improve your earnings, which is how CFOs are paid, um, you're going to go and do that. So we see that as continuing. Um, and that created, in essence, a boom in the number of people that were out there trying to find housing. In fact, it got inventories of housing went down to uh, just over 800,000 back in the beginning of the year, all time lows for housing on a percentage basis within the economy. Um, that's pretty dramatic stuff that helps explain why those, why those um, 
uh, in essence, housing prices went up a lot, but that'll start to ease. And the reason it will is that supply will come on. You see that the availability of houses about continues on regardless. You see anywhere from seven to 10% of all houses are sold every year. Somebody dies, uh, somebody moves, gets a different job. Um, somebody uh, gets a divorce or whatever else happens, a house gets sold and something changes. That supply will continue year after year after year and will help level out the, the bottleneck that we have today in terms of people wanting to, to buy houses. And you'll see housing prices go negative as well. Um, how do I know this? Again, you just have to look at the numbers. Um, demand is decreasing significantly, uh, mostly because mortgage rates have basically doubled in the last year. If you're on the Toll Brothers call, uh, Toll Brothers, one of the most respected home building companies out there, they said that new orders were down already 60%. 60%. I don't know what the Fed is waiting for in terms of uh, housing demand softening, but if, if orders at a, a major home builder are down 60%, uh, you've already got it. It's already happened. And so that you're going to now have going to see housing and autos be negative commodities. These are already down 20 to 25% from peak uh, lumbers down well over 50% areas like copper, uh, steel, uh, oil, all down significantly. So those components are coming in. Uh, logistics, I know you heard a lot about those earlier in the year. Ocean freight um, is now in, in terms of getting your, your um, containers shipped across the oceans. Um, those costs are now down 30%. Um, so again, negative, negative, negative. These are all deflationary numbers that we're now running into. And so what does this mean? Why am I talking about this? Why does this matter? The reason that it matters is the market is hinged on macro issues. It's worried about the Fed and what the Fed is going to do to the economy. You've got doomsdayers coming out of the wood, out of everywhere, saying the markets are going to fall forever because the Fed is being uh, hard on the economy or being hard on uh, because they're worried about inflation. What I'm arguing is that, sure, we can have volatility. Yes, the markets will, could go down more and before recovering and, and staging a better rally to where it is. But it won't be long now before people start to recognize that inflation is going away faster than people expected. And that will bring the advent of, of making it such that the Fed can cut rates next year um, as opposed to leaving them high. And that's my hot take, is that many Many people continue to think that the Fed will stay high forever. Even the Fed is saying this, but just like they pivoted back in November of last year, I think that they will be pivoting again and moving to be more accommodating of an economy that's already soft um, when we get into the middle of next year and we, and we possibly see deflation instead of inflation. Uh, certainly, I think if the war in, in Ukraine were to end, that we definitely would, would see deflation next year. Uh, of course, we'll have to wait on that. But I do think that the inflation issues and the macro issues of the, the Fed um, will be much less of a headwind as we get into the end of this year and into 2023 as supply chain in, uh, issues improve dramatically. So that's it for me today. Thanks for listening in to the Be Bullish podcast. Uh, I hope you uh, invest for the long run and good luck in the markets out there. Thank you very much. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. 
Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.